Welcome to Trinity Radio with Dr. Braxton Hunter and Professor Jonathan Pritchett. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know, you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. And my friend Braxton Hunter and I are going to talk about miracles today and can you investigate miracle claims in history? I'll answer it. Yes. Done. All right, show's over. See you next week. Stick with us. This is the first word. Atheist. A person who thinks that because the definition of atheism means disbelief or lacking a belief in God or gods... They therefore make no knowledge claims about reality or have no position to defend themselves when criticizing the theist position. This is certainly not the case, not least of which because one doesn't live their lives based on beliefs that they lack, but rather they interact with the world based on the beliefs that they have about it. It would be irrational to do otherwise. In fairness to the atheist, their lack of belief in a god or gods doesn't mean that they are existing in a cosmos where no god or gods exist, but only that they lack a belief in a god that may or may not exist. In any case, attempting to poke holes in the case for theism without attempting to defend the atheist or skeptic position simply will not do for their own position to have any merit worth considering for the rest of us. Some atheists do, thankfully, realize that they need to provide some rational justification for the absence of beliefs in God or gods in the roster of beliefs that they do hold. While many in the past have insisted they have no claim or worldview to defend, the more thoughtful atheists realize that this is not the case. After all, Christian theists, for example, have reasons for why they lack belief in fairies or pixies or other gods. Moreover, it is not unreasonable to have justifications for lacked beliefs in principle. This becomes especially so in debates. Not defending a manner of existing in the world is hardly a winning strategy if the aim is to be convincing. And contrary to the claims of some atheists and skeptics in debate, they are indeed trying to be convincing. Were they not, they wouldn't bother promoting the cause. So, to the YouTube atheist crowd, be more thoughtful. There's an idea. Lacking a belief in God or gods is not identical to making no claims about the nature of reality that you have to defend. And since you should agree that it is reasonable to offer justifications for lacked beliefs, those justifications are claims that do need to be examined and defended. So just stumping on the definition of atheism will no longer do and is a losing strategy. And now, today's topic. So it's not heresy, it's come on. No, it's Harrison. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is. I. I I was. Not impressed. (laughs) I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... Welcome back to the main show. And today, we're going to be talking about miracles. And it's a miracle that you have made it this far. Hope you enjoyed the first word. 
And today we're going to uh, begin by uh, Jonathan laying out some data for us because he uh, teaches a class on this, but I want to give one caveat before we begin. And that is that when you study historiography, you'll, you'll often notice some strange things that famous, popular, agnostic, uh, or atheist scholars, New Testament scholars who write books um, in which they misquote Jesus and uh, <laughs> things like that, that they will end up trying to say that a historian cannot conclude a miracle. Have you ever heard someone say something like that? Uh, plenty, and we're going to look at some who have, but... But the fact of the matter is, there are, there's very little that's monolithic about how historians do their work. There are some things, some general principles, but the fact of the matter is that if a historian does not wish to presume methodological naturalism in doing his, historiography, that's perfectly fine. Because there's not like some written-in-stone list of rules that historians have to follow, as Actually, we're going to find out. There, there are problems with assuming methodological naturalism because you get the baggage of naturalism with me methodological naturalism. Plus, uh, there, there's n nothing written, you know, by the finger of God into stone anywhere that, that, that even suggests that methodological naturalism is the objective default position, and in many cases, it's actually the opposite of that. But if there was a stone right. and God wrote in it with his hand, you couldn't conclude it according to methodological mm -hmm. naturalism. You couldn't even conclude that the event occurred. Go on, Jonathan. Right. Well, and well, but on naturalism, qual naturalism can't even uh, conclude that you exist or that anyone has intentional stances or that reason and logic mean anything or grounded anywhere. So, a lot so, of problems so with again, done. Time to go yeah, home. But but the thing is, uh, in fact, those who don't rule out that are the ones who are tolerant and open-minded and inquisitive and follow the evidence wherever the evidence Do you needs. have any examples of someone who presumes methodological naturalism in their research into ancient history? Oh, well, aside from that, that guy you, you referenced earlier, Bart Ehrman, uh, mm -hmm. When you said misquote, oh, did I bring up Bart Ehrman? Well, I, you I, snuck it in there. But uh, yeah, one um, famously stupid guy. Uh, I, know I didn't say harsh. that. Now, I, now, preach it. Okay, calm well, down. I mean, there's still a. It's still here. It, it's just not on camera, but it's it's still here. Look, he said this is why it's stupid. This is no. This is why he's stupid because he said this. Okay. In the preface to one of his latest books. Mm -hmm. Not Bart Ehrman. We're talking Not about Bart somebody Ehrman. else. Ricky Carrier. Little Ricky Carrier. Little Ricky Carrier Character. says at the beginning, I, I don't take anything seriously if it doesn't uh, use naturalistic methods. Mm -hmm. Period. And moreover, uh, some scholars who do their work in, in using these kind of methods are, are also probably in their own life theists. So we... We have to put an asterisk there too. Yes. So I'm not going to take anything seriously. To, 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 so if you're if you're even hinting at um, not using methods that presuppose methodological naturalism, I don't. Have, I'm not even going to pay you any attention. Of course, we know that he's not being entirely accurate because uh, you don't debate people in an academic setting that you don't take seriously. Um, yes. But if you if you if you show up for the debate and say I don't take my opponent seriously, then nobody's going to take you seriously. Right. So you have to take that that kind of rhetoric with a grain of salt. But what what was refreshing is that he said it. By the way, we should explain methodological naturalism is when um, 
a historian, a philosopher, a scientist, whoever, a geologist, whatever, they presume that the answers to the questions that they're probing for are going to be naturalistic. That is, they're not going to be anything supernatural involved, which frankly is fine some of the time, depending on what you're trying to do, because it's not the same thing as what is called metaphysical naturalism. Metaphysical naturalism is if you actually think that naturalism is the truth about the nature of the universe. So medical doctors, for example, might presume methodological naturalism when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with you and they're, they're asking you questions and uh, doing weird stuff to your body and having you cough and all those kind of things. They're presuming that there's a naturalistic explanation for what's going on. And for the most part, that's what we want them to do. Uh, but metaphysical naturalism would be to say, no, naturalism is the truth about the nature of yeah. reality. Yeah. And so uh, many times metaphysical naturalists will insist upon methodological naturalism. And many theists will insist upon methodological naturalism, depending on what we're doing. Right. But, but, but in some cases, methodological naturalism necessarily shouldn't be included. And some events in history fall into that category of where maybe you shouldn't presume methodological naturalism. As Michael Icona says, methodological naturalism is a safe space for skeptics and atheists to stay within so that they can avoid evidence that could indicate Christianity. Right. And one of the things that I think was stupid and makes him personally stupid for having said it is that it gives uh, us permission to not take him seriously anymore. And if you're trying to write big, thick books that you want people to take seriously, you don't tell half the people that are wanting to interact with you that you don't take them seriously because then they could be like, dude, they can do what I did. Oh, well, this is trash. Oh, and just by the way, uh, nobody else, whether they're theist or non-theist, uh, in, in this sort of field takes this man seriously. Yeah. Anyway. And Richard, I just want, if you ever see this, not likely, um, I'm not saying that you're stupid. I just think that you doing that is stupid. Uh, he thinks you're stupid. Yeah, because, well, I mean, uh, stupid is a stupid. Have you seen Forrest Gump? Is yeah. and does, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying he's holistically in totality You stupid. did stupid. It doesn't mean you is stupid. Is that right? No, I'm saying you is stupid because you did stupid. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're entirely stupid. Yeah. But you're kind of stupid. Well, this dialogue know? is stupid, so right. move on. <laughs> anyway, so how do, how do historians make sausage? Well, they... they they may do it in various different ways, but but one of the things that's important is for them to state the ways in which they do it. Now, uh, anyone who listens to any sort of debates on, like, say, the resurrection of Jesus knows that there are some common canons of, of doing history, some mm -hmm. sort of principles uh, that we can talk about. The criteria, um, for example. Right. Um, so um, the historical method criteria, as Lycona has it, would be like explanatory scope, explanatory power, uh, plausibility, what's less ad hoc, you know, uh, illumination. So those are all things that, that they want to look for in a hypothesis. So if you're, if you're going to posit something, you know, uh, explanatory scope looks at the, the quantity. How much of the data can you explain with your hypothesis. I mean, does it account for the bulk of the data? Mm -hmm. Whereas explanatory power would examine the quality of the explanation of these facts given the hypothesis, and does it explain that data? Does it have the power to mm -hmm. explain it without 
you know, fudging the data? Does it have the power to, without stressing it, with having to resort to ambiguity and other things? So, for example... Can, can, it, can it explain it with power and ease rather than a lot, a lot of effort yeah. to, to shore up the hypothesis? So, so for instance, with explanatory scope, mm -hmm. if I come into my house and everything is knocked over and everything is disheveled, and I don't know where my kids are, I don't know where my wife is, I don't know what they may have done to the house, Right. I might conclude um, someone broke in here, uh, a robber, a thief broke in here. And that might seem reasonable. Right. But then I later conclude that, well, the door was locked and uh, the alarm system is still functioning and they didn't, nothing was stolen. So that, that means that the explanation that somebody broke in here and did this to my house may answer one thing pretty well, yeah. but it doesn't have the scope of answering all the details uh, right. that I'm looking at. But the hypothesis that my wife and kids left a mess. Yeah, my wife and kids just <laughs> you built a fort or something a day right. or messed the room up. Yeah. Right, that, 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 that can account for all that of it. That answers all of it. And it yeah. also has explanatory power because your robber hypothesis, well, he somehow managed to get the door open without leaving any effect that he did it mm -hmm. and managed to get it locked again, secured. Yeah. And then, you know, and you're trying to come up with all these different ways to make your yeah. robber hypothesis work. That doesn't, that lacks an explanatory oh, yeah, power. Or, well. or I come up with like, okay, a robber broke in and I'm sticking with that hypothesis. Right. That is my hypothesis. Because Brax's wife and kids would never actually leave the house. But the, but the, but the alarm system is still functioning yeah. because uh, my neighbor doesn't like me. And one time I gave him my passcode yeah. And he actually wanted to help the robber. So that's how he got him in there, just to make me mad. But then the robber, uh, the, the neighbor came, must have come in. And because nothing was stolen, he felt guilty. He went home and felt guilty as my house was being robbed. And so he beat up the robber and put all the stuff back. Now, does that account for everything? Yes. Does it? But what's wrong with it is it doesn't have explanatory scope. Right. What has more explanatory scope is my kids made a mess. Right. And my wife now, didn't have time it, to now it, does, does the robber hypothesis have plausibility? Given your uh, background knowledge of, of everything else, um, does your hypothesis seem plausible given what you know about other things, you know, about the situation regarding mm -hmm. your house? Mm -hmm. Is it more plausible to think that your neighbor assisted a robber who managed to leave no trace of his activity, mm -hmm. including robbing, Except right. for a mess. Right. Uh, is that plausible or is the hypothesis that your wife and kids left the house a mess, is that more plausible given what you know about your yeah. wife and your kids and it's a it's a it's a Saturday morning and they're not having school and that's right. you know now at first glance it might seem plausible before I think about the fact that the door was locked and the alarm was going, when I just see the ransacked house, right. it might seem plausible. But then I add in additional features like uh, actually I live in a pretty uh, nice uh, old uh, condominium complex, and the old guy who lives next door to me was sitting on his porch all day. <laughs> you know, these kind of things. It becomes implausible. Right. You know? All right. So plausibility is, given what you know about mm -hmm. other things, does your hypothesis make sense of that right. uh, in light of everything else? Less ad hoc, Latin for, for this. Yeah. Um, a hypothesis that possesses an ad hoc component, according to Mike Lacona, is when it lists non-evidenced assumptions. That is, when it goes beyond what is already known. Which we've already given a couple of those with the neighbor helping out. Right. Another one might be, actually, the way that it got messed up is some aliens beamed directly into the house and, did all, and, and made this mess for reasons only known to the aliens. Right. That would be incredibly ad hoc because we, not only do we have no evidence that that happened in my house... 
we have no evidence that such aliens exist. Right, right. but now that you're bringing in the ancient aliens that Matt Chisholm would be proud yeah, that's to, right. that's <laughs> to, right. to know about. Now, it, it goes to the ad hoc signals that a hypothesis that, that you're trying to stick with is, mm-hmm. is now a salvage operation, and mm-hmm. you're kind of going off the rails with it. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be, you want a hypothesis that's less ad hoc than other hypotheses. Right. Now, admittedly, given how much data you have and how much data you may not have, so it's okay to have some sort of ad hoc component given... Uh, yeah, if you got to bridge the gap. Right. Uh, you know. Uh, if, if you're flying high on explanatory scope and explanatory power and plausibility, if you introduce an ad hoc... The, the thing is not... The standard is not no ad hoc component. It's less ad hoc than any right, right. hypothesis. Yeah, so, so let's say that, my, uh, that, that, that I took a step further and said... Uh, something about why this fight occurred or this messing up of the house occurred with my daughters. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of going a little bit further there and, and I'm making an ad hoc statement, uh, but you want something less ad hoc. All I can really presume, all I can really know is that I think my daughter, all I can believe is that my daughters messed up this room. Yeah. And of course it might, uh, and then illumination, um, I, I like how Lycona puts it here. Sometimes the hypothesis provides a possible solution to other problems without confusing the other areas held in confidence. Indeed, as in a number of the scientists, uh, sciences, conclusions in one area may have far-reaching effects on others. So if your hypothesis illumines the situation mm-hmm. uh, better than your the competing hypothesis of a robber that you're... Uh, but you, and then you, you mentioned something that that there might have been a fight between your girls or something like that that may also account for... Well, let's do, let's do it this way. So once I see all this, I do remember that I got a text from my wife about two hours ago right. that they were in a rush to go somewhere. Yeah. Okay, well, now this, what I'm seeing now is illuminated. It, the, mm-hmm. Both these things kind of make sense. Or yeah. is that illumination? Yeah, because because yeah. now you understand something else that you. you, you I understand you, they were really in a rush. Yeah, you can hold in yeah. confidence, and that yeah. that's something you can have in confidence. Uh, assuming that your wife's trustworthy mm-hmm. and they were really in a rush or whatever, which mm-hmm. you have no reason to doubt. So mm-hmm. therefore, that that illumines why uh, they didn't pick up before they left and, and other right. sorts of things. So um, yeah, it can. But but the effects should be even more far-reaching than that. The more you investigate. And the more things that you also know about, it uh, just seems to make right. more and more sense. Yeah, uh, and, uh, of other things like, um, well, you do have two daughters, and maybe they got in. Part of it was in the fort that one didn't like the way the other was designing it, and so they <laughs> right, got into yeah, a fight yeah. and all, all yeah. kinds of. And that makes sense of maybe they mm-hmm. may have a competition streak between the two, mm-hmm. and so it, it doesn't conflict with anything else. And it also this mess illumines a, a bunch of other things that you could imagine being very possible that you know about your family uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday mornings when they're in a rush and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's how they do it. Um, well, you left out explanatory power. No, I didn't. Oh, did you? Did you say The ability to, to, to do it It makes sense effort, of it well. Yeah. Right, without having the to put a lot of effort into the classic example right. of this is a puzzle piece. Yeah. Everybody knows the experiences of wanting to force a puzzle piece where it doesn't go because you want right. it done. And the reality is that's just not where it goes. It should right. slide in easily. Right. So. so what about miracle claims? The question of miracles. Um, uh, something that happens in the past where a naturalistic explanation just doesn't seem to cut it. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to get it done when you explain this. Now, 
some people are going to say, like we talked about in the intro, uh, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it sounds, any naturalistic explanation is going to be better than a supernaturalistic one, but we're going to see that that's not always uh, the case. Um, but some, some initial questions you got to ask is, uh, are supernatural claims about history just the purview of theologians and philosophers and not historians, right? Well, somebody could make that claim that, well, Bart Ehrman does this in his debates. That, that's a question, uh, you know, you and I agree that Jesus probably died on the cross. You mm -hmm. know, that's known with certainty. Mm -hmm. But dying for your sins is a theological claim, and mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with history. Um, but if Jesus rose from the dead and his intention to die was for the sins of the world, um, that would vindicate the claim that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And that's not merely theological because we're talking about a historical event mm -hmm. that contained a theological element to it. Yeah. Right? So, but, but he would say, but on the question of the resurrection, that's a miracle claim. Mm -hmm. So the best we can do with history is assume this, you know, the disciples stole the body, for example, uh, or the swoon theory or any other. we got to come up theory. with a theory, right. any of which yeah. is going to fail some of these, some of these, Criteria now, here's, but all of which are more likely than a supernatural explanation, according to some people. Right, and it, it should be said that it is the case. In, it, there are cases where it is a multi. There are multiple uh, things. So you, the truth may actually, in some cases, not have explanatory scope. Right, like what really did happen was a combination of things, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, like what gave rise to the Civil War, for example. You know, there, there may not be one simple explanation. Right. There may be multiple things happening at play. But when you're trying to compare hypotheses, if one does have explanatory scope, that counts in its favor. Right. Is what you want to, is what you want to look for. But the question is, is, is this stuff just for theologians and philosophers? No, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Okay, in a 2017 debate with Matt Dillahunty and Mike Lycona, Mike Lycona was trying to make a point that I don't know whether Matt understood and I didn't understand what he was saying at first. Um, but what he was saying was, okay, Matt, he said, if, if an asteroid hit the moon and after the debris floated away or whatever, it said God exists in both Hebrew and Greek where anyone could just look up in the night sky and see it. If we're presuming methodological naturalism, then the methodological naturalist could not even, could not even conclude that that event occurred. Now, what everybody thought he was trying to say was, oh, and even Matt responded later, no, 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 we could say that the event occurred. We could say that an asteroid hit the moon, and now it says that. But you, but you just couldn't conclude that God, God was the explanation for it right. being written there. It could have, it could be aliens, could be whatever. Okay, right. aliens but, put a stamp on the yeah, and I don't remember if he said aliens, but that an imprint. Yeah, but but here's the thing: the thing is, what 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 uh, what Mike was actually trying to say there was, okay, when it comes to the resurrection, uh, people like Bart Ehrman and others will say, we can't uh, conclude resurrection because that would be some kind of supernatural, miraculous claim. Yeah. And that is not something that we can... And what Mike often says as an evidentialist is to say, no, you could still conclude that Jesus rose from the dead. You, you just would have, have to leave it there. Yeah. You couldn't say God raising from the dead or it was a miracle. And if you say, no, we can't even say that he was raised from the dead because it just smells too miraculous, well, then you couldn't even conclude that the event happened where the asteroid hit the moon. You have to ignore that and pretend that didn't even happen because the conclusions that could so easily be drawn from that 
will not fit with methodological naturalism. Right. So the methodological naturalist couldn't even conclude the event occurred, and then you take that to the resurrection, can't even conclude that the resurrection occurred. When, if you're going to be consistent, the methodological naturalist should even be able to say, no, it happened, I just can't say God did right. it. And with the resurrection, no, it happened, I just can't say God did it. Right, so they have a problem there. If they deny yeah. one, they, then they should essentially deny the other. But since they're going to say, no, it could have been this, could have been this. Right. Well, then, okay, then, then, then if aliens were your explanation for the imprint of the Hebrew and Greek, aliens could be your explanation for a reanimation of a corpse. Yeah, I mean, the point still, is you should be still, able to grant the yeah, resurrection right. of Jesus. Right, but of course. And just not say anything else about it, and we'll take it from there. Right, but of course, <laughs> again, we need to re reiterate, there is no law that forbids that will take you in shackles. Right, and a historian could say, looks like a miracle. Right. Looks like God raised Jesus from the dead is the best explanation. Yeah. And says who? And if you don't like it, then let's go fight about it in the, in the debate, mm -hmm. which is what we do. So knock it off that we're not investigating miracle claims because everyone does. And everyone who is even against the idea is already taking it seriously as an idea that they have to counter from the jump. So we're already doing it, so knock it off. But, uh, of course, some people want to go back to... Um, uh, starting with with Hume's objections to miracles. Here, here's why we can't do it, Braxton. Mm -hmm. You know, uniform experience of the majority of people do not include miracles. This is proof that they do not occur, and that claims that they do occur should be discounted because most people don't. Uh, most people don't have. Uh, well, uniform experience of the majority of people does not confirm that dinosaurs got destroyed in a huge cataclysmic event. Right. But it did happen, <laughs> as far as we can tell, um, right. or, or, or some other way. It happened. Uh, it, it's So you can't go, you know, you should be investigating that and skeptical about that in the same sense if the idea is yeah, it's really rare. Like so rare, it's the least likely thing to occur is what right. you often hear. Yeah, yeah, so well, the def decimation of dinosaurs is incredibly unlikely given that nobody has experienced right, it. Right, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's uh, just a non, not a repeatable event. Right. So on principle, that objection just fails because evolution and any number of things can be okay. Great. You want to go down that road? Look what you have to give up now. Because just to be obtuse and obnoxious, some are going to say, okay, fine. You know, I, I don't, I don't believe that either. I don't believe that. I don't believe in dinosaurs. You know, they'll do that just to be YouTube-ish. But right. Right. But, um, can you say? Yeah. But but can you say that miracles are the least likely thing to have happened? Well, based upon what? Yeah, but you, you got to look at the you got to look at the data. If yeah. God exists, um, and uh, and if Jesus is going around saying that he's God's special kingdom agent, yeah, and then you have the rest of the resurrection case, you have a religiously informed theater in which, and you got to include all of that in your background data, right? And so the. So it, why why is that the least likely thing? It, it's like you hear this thing all the time of well you know it's an extraordinary claim so it requires extraordinary yeah, we're evidence. Get to that one here, okay, right? well then move on. I'll okay, wait, okay. I'll well, wait till right, you get right. there. No testimony is ever good enough because uh, it would be too costly for highly educated people to lie and uh, you know. It, but no testimony is ever good enough to accept a miracle claim over naturalistic theories. That would be one. Uh, another one would be antecedent probability. Given the amount of past observations where nature behaves uniformly, claims of irregularity ought to be rejected. Uh, this is the principle of analogy. Uh, eyewitnesses are either too ignorant or too primitive or they're liars. 
Uh, that's an objection. Uh, miracle claims of one religious system. Or they would system. say maybe they got deceived. Yeah. Uh, and miracle claims of one religious system cancel out the miracle claims in other religious systems. Wrong. Yeah. So no testimony is ever good enough to accept a miracle claim over natural Well, it turns out, if you read Craig Keener, there are miracle claims everywhere. It turns out if you go to any church and say, how many of you have witnessed what you think could be a miracle, you get more hands than not. That's so right. I, I don't even know that that's... So aside from the problem of... Uh, testimony not being good enough to, mm-hmm. to accept it, um, it's kind of an absurd standard because if we uh, employed that standard outside of miracle claims and just any sort of historical claims, we'd have to jettison most of history, right? Because a lot of history is based on eyewitness testimony, not video cameras. Right. Which, you know, 200 years from now, video camera evidence is not com- going to be compelling because that could have been doctored. Yeah, now what you know, people... So, I mean, there's always people... going to be a standard per the... The era that you're in, but to say, but to dismiss eyewitness testimony on miracle claims means you could also just as well dismiss it on any claims. Yeah. Now they're going to say, well, naturalistic claims are more believable, but when you, what about when you have two or three competing claims about a, a specific incident in history? You know, you don't jettison all of them because they could cancel each other out. Right. So something happened because history, even though it's not a repeatable event, mm-hmm. it does leave effects in the present that can be observed as windows into what happened in the yeah. past. Right. Yeah, and, and that kind of goes along with the whole miracles versus miracles. Uh, what about miracles of other religions? Um, it's a little bit silly, I've always thought, because here's the thing. Uh, Christians, on the Christian worldview, we actually do, and I've said this so many, so many times on the show, I feel like a broken record, but Christians actually affirm the existence of other supernatural entities that are not good, and so the idea that something that seems supernatural or miraculous uh, could be going on in other religions is absolutely no problem for Christianity. Yeah. That's, we believe that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. I, I don't know whether Joseph Smith had some kind of a experience of, that he thought was of God and, and, and all these kind of things. I don't know whether he was just making that up. And frankly, my hunch is that he was just making that up. Right. But if if even if he did, but have if a he did have some experience. kind of supernatural experience, it doesn't mean oh well then now they cancel each other out and both are false. No, why don't you look at the hypothesis that accounts for both of those things? Right. That's, which that's, is the one that Christians have been saying for centuries, right. which is that there are malevolent supernatural entities out there. Yeah, I know it doesn't sound cool to methodological naturalists. Don't care. This is what we believe about the nature of reality, right. and so that would account for that. Exactly. Uh, Other supernatural agents acting in the world upon human beings does not negate our God. In fact, our God provides an explanation for that very thing, even if we assume that that could have been what it was as opposed to just thinking that he was lying. But I think he was just lying. Right. So so that brings us to the next point. While you need to have caution with these Mm -hmm. sorts of things... You have to examine what what is the case that we're talking about now. Let's take them at a case by case basis, mm-hmm. because just so some people are lying, like Joseph Smith, or other people were deceived, doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everyone necessarily is liars and deceivers. That's you right. can't just that that is a non sequitur, and it's basically ad hominem. You're just saying they're all primitive nitwits in the past. So you have to examine these by a case by case basis. And before somebody says to us, "Well, yeah, but what about Zeus and Thor and everything else?" Well, yeah. I mean, we do examine those. We take it by yeah. case by case basis. What do they? And, yeah, what's, what's the evidence? I'm willing to consider it. Yeah. What I'm not going to do is say that we shouldn't consider it. If you've got good reasons, like Christians have good reasons for believing in the existence of God, believing that miracles happen on a at least semi-regular basis, some, you know, at least once or twice. Which in, is in why it's lifetime. always shocking to yeah. people in debates, and I always think it's really interesting whenever some skeptic will say, or atheist will say, yeah, well, yeah, but what about Mormonism? You don't believe Mormonism? I'd be like, well, what's the case? 
Yeah. Lay it out for me. Or, well, you don't believe in aliens. We've got, well, what's lay the case out for me for aliens. Let's hear what, let's hear about these aliens. Let's hear yeah. what, I'm open to the possibility that there could be aliens. Uh, lay, lay it out yeah. for me. You know? our, our friends at the Bible yeah. Road, at least Matt, certainly. <laughs> and, what we're, and, what, and what we're illustrating there is, yeah, we don't just kind of, in an extremely biased way, just say, that sounds weird, so no. No, we say, that sounds weird. Let's keep that in mind as we take a look at the case, you know? Yeah, I would I would debate a Zeusist. A Zeusist. Yeah. Uh, there are a handful of them. Yeah, bring them on. I mean, it's, it's like, that would actually probably be a better debate than. It'd a be lot fun. Of, yeah, uh, I'll debate that. I want to hear the case. Uh, the principle of analogy, <laughs> for example, because I can give an account for Zeus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. Mentioned earlier, so yeah. so we'll, we'll, let's see which hypothesis is better. Yeah. If Jesus rose from the dead, which is I would still bring that argument because I'm, I'm sure. talking to people who believe in supernaturalism, then the same type of demons that that Jesus was casting out because the resurrection verifies the rest of his story are probably the same demons who put the ideas in the heads about. And what you have just else, illustrated, so. and you're going to hate me saying this, yeah. what you've just illustrated is that the the classical theistic arguments and resurrection and all that kind of stuff yeah. actually helps when you're not just talking to atheists. It works across right. a lot of different people. Right. Now, the principle of analogy, that uniformity experience, that, you know, uh, our present experience account for the, the, the whole world at all times and all places, like we mentioned about the dinosaurs. You can't just leave that unqualified. This uniformative experience accounts for the way things always are. Yeah. Because uh, nobody's experience can account for... So what we're saying about dinosaurs, what we're saying about evolution, things like that, well, nobody has experience of that. So, I mean, can we toss that in the trash? That's yeah, right. Of course we can't toss that in the trash. Okay. Now, they are... Now, to be very precise, those things <clears throat> that are... That, were, that did take place in space-time and were physiological, they are repeatable in the sense that if you had the same situation, the same state of affairs again, you could have it happen again. That's repeatable. Mm-hmm. And people want to say about miracles, they're not necessarily repeatable about that. You can't just set it up so that the miracle happens again. And so in that sense, that much is true. But what is true with what we've just said is it doesn't conform to your experience. Yeah. And, of course, some re- religious claims of some group cancels out religious claims of the other. Well, number one... We already dealt with that. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a horizon, that's see, a horizon uh, problem. Um, uh, that some miracle claims lack credible evidence doesn't mean they all do, mm-hmm. things like that. Parallelomania mm-hmm. is another thing mm-hmm. uh, that's, in, uh, that's interesting that, that, that people want to bring up and say, well, you don't believe all of these things, so you shouldn't believe this one either. Yeah. And this one sounds like that one, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, as, as if all of the uh, New Testament authors had uh, PhDs in all papers. Which is really, which ever, is really nudging you know. toward a genetic fallacy, which right. is to say you only believe the one that you believe in because that's where you were raised and what you were taught and all that. Which It wasn't made, but it's nudging toward that. Yeah, like, like Kona brings up a, a, the guy, uh, um, another objection. McCullough's objections are historians cannot uh, weigh miracle claims since colliding worldviews exist. You don't believe that miracles uh, can occur. I believe miracles... Uh, can occur, so therefore we cancel each other out uh, because you're, guess what, you're going to conclude that a miracle did occur and I'm going to conclude one that didn't, and so uh, we can't decide these sort of things. Okay, so I woke up, so I woke up and you woke up the day after Donald Trump became the president, or was elected, and neither one of us saw it on television, and you tell me Donald Trump was elected last night, and of course, as we know, 
that was kind of thought to be unlikely given the way things were heading when I went to bed, right? Right. So, so you tell me that, and I'm like, no, I don't believe it. And so because I don't believe it and you do believe it, we cancel each other out and Donald Trump's not president? Is that what we're, <laughs> sa- is that what we're saying? Right, that, but that's the kind of argument <laughs> right. that is. And it's yeah. not really an objection at all. But um, I, guess, I guess what it's saying is we can't conclude. So we wouldn't be able to conclude that Donald Trump is president. Even though he is. I mean, he's the president. <laughs> right, right. But that's their whole point is if a miracle happened, we're not saying it didn't, but we're saying if it happened, you couldn't conclude it. Yeah. Well, look. Because people disagree about stuff. Well, look. Okay. Well, okay. But uh, I'm a Christian. You're an atheist. Jim Bob is uh, a Muslim. So because we, we all three. We got a Muslim named Jim Bob? Right. <laughs> okay. And so because, all right. Right. And it can be, happen. And because all three of y'all are going to come to different conclusions about mm-hmm. various miracle mm-hmm. claims. It's best to just leave these miracle claims out because it's not just it's not just the non-believer versus the believer. It's other religious people versus religious people, and yeah, and you guys that want to leave it out, that's fine. Right. You go over there and you do it however you want to do it, and whatever you come up with, we'll discuss it. Right, and then we'll just do what we always do, which is have debates where you lose. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, but the, really, the thing is, uh, there's actually good grounds for assuming that God exists and acts in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Like Christians make that case before they even get to the resurrection a lot of times. Yes. So, given that, it's actually reasonable for Christians to assume that their worldview is true until somebody can provide defeaters for why it isn't. Yeah. And so if the do, theistic yeah. arguments are successful, and, and right. they are. Yeah. So, we, 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 we make assumptions all the time in research, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. even in historical research, even in scientific research. Well, yeah, in scientific research, you have to make the assumption that of this uniformity of nature. Yeah. You, that's a philosophical principle you've got to assume going in. Right. But, but methodological naturalism supposes that you should use natural, methodological naturalism because natural, uh, naturalism are the only explanations that are available because mm-hmm. you should assume that methodological... Na- you start going in a circle with that. Right. But, but, but again, it comes back to the question, what has awarded met- methodological naturalism the default position? What... what who gave it that, and why should we accept it? Well, and it's kind of like um, what John Lennox said. We should just as easily call it methodological theism because yeah. we're presuming that the world functions in a certain uh, uniform way and has laws and principles and all these kind of things that are gonna they're gonna be predictable and you can make predictions and stuff because there's a God who's a rational God and has created it so that people can study it and discover it and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So let's just start calling it methodological so, theism. Yeah, but but Braxton. The reason why methodological naturalism is important because you can't prove that any particular god is behind any particular miracle claim. There's no direct connection there. What would yeah, you say to that? I, well, give them some theistic arguments. <laughs> I give them some theistic arguments and say, okay, God exists, and then I'd give them the resurrection case. And the very nature of the resurrection case is, if it's true, then obviously it seems like the Christian God is behind that very Christian miracle. What if some now, other God could, was wanting to deceive everybody into becoming Christians so that he could consign them to the flames of hell? Well, then now you've just you've just violated Occam's razor. There's no reason to multiply <laughs> these explanations beyond what's necessary. Okay. Well, all right. Well, some people would argue, well... And you need uh, to give me some evidence. <laughs> you need to give me some evidence that that hypothesis is plausibly true. But aren't miracle claims by their very nature theological claims? They're not really historical claims. Why do they have? Why is what's up with the non sequitur there? Well, I mean, shouldn't you leave the theological claims to theologians? Though we've no. talked about it, why not? 
I don't. Okay, as a historian, I you could say I'm not a historian, but as a historian, you could yeah. say, look, the best explanation for what happened is that Jesus was dead, and that he was alive again well, later. The resurrection, what about the and party you, of the Red Sea or Daniel in the lion's den? Take your pick. Of if we had, if we had available historical evidence. Right. To, to, to show that it, the best explanation that meets all these criteria is that the Red Sea was parted, then a historian could say, I mean, you know, it really, the best explanation, it seems like, the best hypothesis is the God, God parted the Red Sea hypothesis. And if you want to say, wait a minute, are you saying, because this sounds like your criticism, yeah. are you saying, wait a minute, are you saying God did that? You're a historian. You can't say God did that. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I am a historian. I'm also a human being talking to you. And I'm saying, if that dude who believed in Yahweh stuck his staff in the ocean or in the Red Sea and it parted, it seems like not too much of a leap to say that God did that. So if you want to leave your history, and this is how evidentialists argue. They'll yeah. say, look, they'll say, look, okay, fine. The Red Sea parted, and I can't say any more than that. And right. that guy, right before it did, said something about Yahweh and stuck his staff in the, in the side <laughs> of it. That's all I can say. And the, as far as the Jesus stuff, okay, this guy taught, thought of himself as God's special eschatological agent, and and uh, and then and then he so was, di- he was dead, and then he was, a, it it was alive again later. Right. I, I, that's all I can say. And then when you're having coffee with him, say, okay, uh, you're, you don't have your historian hat on. You're my friend now. Did what do you think happened there? I think God raised Jesus from the dead. How dare you? You're a historian. Yeah. You know, come well, on. Well, somebody like Meyer, for example, would say, you're, you can, as a historian, you can believe that a miracle occurred, but you just can't do it in your professional work. That's, mm-hmm. what that, that's, that's the same objection that we always get. But says I keep, who? Yeah, that's what, that's what I keep going. Number one, says who? And number two, are you going to deal with the problems with methodological naturalism? Because, mm-hmm. it, number one, this wasn't even a thing before the Enlightenment, mm-hmm. really. Most people would assume, uh, whatever their religious beliefs were, that there was, there, there was not this dichotomy between natural and supernatural as such, but rather that the supernatural supervened on, on everything natural. So you, yeah. you could have a... You could have a supernatural explanation coincide with a naturalistic explanation. So, for a lot of miracle events in the Bible, for example, the earth opens up like an earthquake and kills people. Uh, but some people would see that as a judgment. It's really not a supernaturalistic event so much as is a naturalistic event with incredibly perfect timing, mm-hmm. uh, given the circumstances. Right. Other circumstances. That's what I always right. find so, weird. Like when, and it's, some Christians will ask this, but usually liberal theologians yeah. will say this kind of stuff. So they're claiming to be Christians, maybe they're Christians, but they're liberal theologians. They'll say something like, okay, when when the children of Israel, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, set foot in the Jordan River, and suddenly it stopped so that they could all cross. And they're like, well, you know, the fact is, there are mudslides regularly in that region, and it could very well be the case that a mudslide dammed up the, the Jordan River, and it wasn't really anything supernatural. Okay, okay. But that that happened at that moment. Right. I mean, uh, you're just kicking the can back up the road, right? You know, and, and that's kind of because a lot of miracle claims. Does uh, God have to jump out and say, "Hi guys, right. going to block the Jordan River for you"? Right. No. And because Come a on. lot of miracle claims in the Bible actually could have both a natural God used natural means sure. to, to to do a supernatural thing. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Uh, this this post enlightenment just separating the two. It's not always. We don't know the mechanics of, you know, giving uh, uh, Jesus a glorified body. 
but obviously because it interacted with the world, it it wasn't some extra uncreated than than you know just a, an entirely new thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it had continuity with the with the previous Jesus. So whatever it was, um, it it wasn't something that all of a sudden your hand went through him. Yeah. You know, it was physical. It had some degree of continuity. Mm-hmm. It was a it, it too was a created thing. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, it wasn't an uncreated right. body given to him. Mm-hmm. So even if we don't know the mechanics of that, whatever it was, the fact that it happened at that time, and I'm sure God knows the mechanics of it. That 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 you could give a he could give us a technical or scientific account of yeah, this is how the Holy yeah. Spirit ran him. You know. Raises people from the dead mm-hmm. and empowers their body. You know, That'd be the glory of the Lord. It'd be interesting. I look to forward learn. to hearing that. You know, one day. mechanics would <laughs> engineers <laughs> want to hear that. Stuff. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't care. But, but I mean, it's not like no explanation exists. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You don't have to separate the as if there's no mechanical description of what happened and supernatural description of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of a false dichotomy anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I don't think that Christians necessarily need to buy into methodological naturalism on a lot of things that you would probably say. Yeah, it's okay to do that because we don't know what God's up to in the world providentially. But if you believe in God, then you can, and you believe in providence, then, you know, some events that even seem natural may have supernatural, you know, uh, what people would call even a divine appointment when you run into somebody just that seems for happenstance Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm not so quick to to draw that hard line between uh, natural and supernatural as maybe others might be. I just want to point that well, out. Well, but you can, th- these things happen in in cases where in general we would presume methodological yeah. naturalism. So, for, for example, you hear it all the time, some woman's got cancer, uh, she's, she's dying, her body is riddled with cancer, yeah. it's everywhere, and the doctor's given her a certain number of days to live, people are praying for her, she goes back to the doctor, the doctor is flabbergasted that there's not a hint of cancer in her body. Right. And, and this kind of stuff happens. And, and I have no problem with the doctor who typically would run on methodological naturalism because if I have an illness, I don't want him to conclude that fairies did it. Yeah. But in this case, why couldn't the doctor say, in my expert medical opinion, there is no explanation for this that is natural? Yeah. You know? And or even if then, there was, I don't know it, and the timing seems odd that after yeah. a bunch of people pray, whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, obviously, you're never going to make skeptics happy, but they really have no basis to say, especially given other evidence that we should conclude that God exists based mm-hmm. on other reasons mm-hmm. that we have. Um, they're never going to like it anyway that you're bringing up a supernatural so-called explanation for something yeah. like the resurrection. They're not going to like it anyway. But this idea that they are the key holders to what is proper and improper methodology, because at best, it is the Christian or even the theist who's investigating any miracle claims. They're at least going to see, does a miracle hypothesis best explain this historical event or not? Right. They may conclude not. That's open to the... But what the methodological naturalism has done without justification, has closed off certain answers, even if those answers are the truth. Right. So, And often they're happy to say that. They're like, it may be that a miracle happened, but we can't conclude that. Right, but don't you want to know what happened? Right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so so it, it really, it, okay, so let, we save the big one for last, okay? So really there's no good grounds for methodological naturalism in every historical inquiry that you could possibly make. 
There's no reason that, suppose that, it's better to follow the evidence wherever it leads. Plus, methodological naturalism is riddled with the problems of a naturalistic, materialistic, metaphysical naturalistic worldview. It still has those problems, I think, because why assume that without the baggage just because the baggage is inconvenient? You've got to argue for your method, too. Right. My, my argument is I'm going to follow the evidence wherever it leads. What's your argument? Yeah. I don't like miracle. Well, who cares? Okay, so what do you got? Okay, so ECRI. Sagan saw extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. That's the that's the one. That, you know what? Actually, it's not even the big one anymore. You don't hear it as much as you did ten years ago. Oh yeah, you do. Oh, I don't hear it as much. But as what I love is that is the response that Michael Icona gave, which is, yeah. "What do you mean? Does it glow? <laughs> it's extraordinary evidence." Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that that that's the first response is uh, no claims that are out of the ordinary require super-duper evidence. Right. What you need is additional evidence, but it's not glowing, supercharged, turbo evidence. What, right. what, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and whenever someone responds to this, often what they'll say is they'll say, well, here's the thing. If you told me that you just bought a new car, okay, I didn't know you had that kind of money, but uh, maybe you're in debt, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it doesn't cost me much in my worldview to believe that you bought a new car. But if you tell me, and this was Carl Sagan's thing, I think, if you tell me that you have an invisible magic dragon that is undetectable in your garage, I'm probably not going to believe you, because n- not, not just because of the lack of evidence, but also because that would kind of change the way I view the way the world is. That would change some of my beliefs about what's real and what's not. And so that would require extraordinary uh, evidence. Yeah. The problem is... Since when does what it costs you in your web of beliefs, why, why is that the arbiter of what requires right. good evidence? My method doesn't have to shoulder <laughs> the burden of your worldview. Yeah, yeah right? you don't. My, my, your, your worldview doesn't cost hold my you something. Yeah. So? Yeah. So what if it costs your, you something? Your, your worldview does not hold my method hostage. Yeah. It, that's not my, that's your, your worldview is your burden. It's right. not my burden. Right. And, and I, I'm not going to shoulder your worldview as my burden. Right. The, the, what justification do you have for that? None. Yeah. But the uh, thing is, theistic explanations aren't really extraordinary for a lot of people, nor unreasonable. Right. That's right. Given other data that we know, like right. God exists and acts in the world. Right. You know? And then on top of that, some extraordinary things that happen the evidence for them is not extraordinary in the way that is often meant by that. For example, um, uh, it, it is an extraordinary claim yeah. that the dinosaurs, it, it would have been... It, like, like, let, well, let's say you have convincing evidence for the dinosaurs. No, no, no. Let's say, let's say, and I know that we're not, whatever, right. with, the, with the timing and all that. Don't, don't go there. That's not the point. But let's <laughs> say that we're cavemen or whatever, okay. and, we're, and, we're, and it hasn't happened yet. Some people actually probably think and, that. And I, and I tell you that this is going to happen, and you're like, that is an extraordinary claim. I don't know if I believe that. Or maybe I tell you after the fact, like that, uh, well, now, thousands of years ago, the dinosaurs were destroyed in this huge, you know, cataclysmic event. Okay, you're like, well, that is an extraordinary claim. I've never seen anything like that. How do I know that that happens? All I have to show you is that there's good reason to believe there was a time when they were alive, a good reason to believe that there's a time they were dead, all of right. them. And now those are not extraordinary claims or evidences, but they demonstrate an extraordinary claim. It, with Jesus, it is not an extraordinary claim to say that a man was alive. That happens all the time. Men are alive as a rule. Yeah. <laughs> so then is it, it's not an extraordinary claim to say later uh, that he died 
Okay, men die all the time. That's right. also not really extraordinary. And then it's not an extraordinary claim to say th- this particular man is now alive. <laughs> you know, th- that's not an extraordinary claim either. But when you string those together, or it's, that's not extraordinary evidence, but when you string those together, guess what? You've got what people think is an extraordinary claim. Because okay, of, Grant, because of the, I understand. Because of the order, though. But, yeah, but here's the thing. No, no individual piece of that is extraordinary. Alive, not extraordinary. Dead, not extraordinary. Alive again, not extraordinary. The no, claim... No, the alive again is extraordinary. No, but, no, but alive. Forget yeah. the again. Yeah. This guy's alive. Now this guy's dead. Now this guy's alive. And when you realize that's the same person, now that's an extraordinary claim. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not an extraordinary claim. But the evidence isn't extraordinary. Right. The evidence is, this guy's alive. Right. People are alive all the time. Right. This guy's dead. People die all the time. Right. This guy's alive. People are, People are alive, alive all the time. Yeah. It's not extraordinary evidence, right. but it would demonstrate an extraordinary claim. Yeah, but as far as the criticism of, well, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, no such extraordinary evidence against it, therefore we can't investigate extraordinary claims, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, the uh, uh, people seem to also confuse that what you said, what you just demonstrated there with alive, not extraordinary, dead, not extraordinary, alive, not extraordinary, mm-hmm. right? Um, Evidentially. Right. The but, claim is extraordinary. Right. Th- that in that sequence, you have what looks to be a resurrection, which is, would be your hypothesis, right? Mm-hmm. However, going back, it would cost me things, right? Mm-hmm. About the elephant in the, or, or the, what, the invisible the dragon, dragon in the garage, yeah, yeah. or that Jesus rose from the dead. He's going to put those in the same bucket, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's going to cost me something. That's why I can't do it. Well, this confuses what it costs you versus the superiority of what my case is versus your case against it. So right. Let's put away yeah. your personal. The feelings. point is, whoever we're talking yeah. to, we don't care so much how you feel in your heart about this. <laughs> right. What matters is what's your hypothesis? What's my hypothesis? Which one's better? Well, not it, what does it cost you? Not that you'd have to change your worldview. Because guess what? The world doesn't really care whether it changes your. And world notice view. in resurrection debates, sometimes, sometimes, people will throw out red herrings. It could have been this, could have been that. Barterman, any explanation that's naturalistic, no matter how ridiculous, is more okay. But notice that they don't. Very few people these days are going to put forward a positive case, at least mm-hmm. in in debate. Yeah, because, bear the burden of proof. Because the second you do that, you've got to demonstrate its uh, explanatory scope, its explanatory power. Is it less ad hoc? Does it illuminate anything? Is it plausible? You have to go through all that. And I think deep down somewhere they know that, that maybe it's just that our case is so good or that we're so good at making it, one or the other. I think, either way, it's fine you know, with me. I think what they a lot run of them, from it. I think what a lot of them yeah. think is, Okay, I get it that if I were a Christian, that yeah. seems like a really good case. But I obviously I don't believe someone came back from the dead. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is, but there's probably an answer. And they do with that what we would do with alien abduction claims or anything like, yeah, there's a lot of people claiming this, and uh, but I I don't. But know. that's that's a that's that's it's a, a cognitive dissonance. That's a it's, cop out and yeah. and a hand waving. I don't want to deal with the evidence as opposed to coming to grips with the evidence right. and 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 either defeating it with a competing hypothesis or conceding it. Right. You know, hand waving never gets you anywhere. This has been an episode of Trinity Radio. 
We would like you to check out our sister podcast, Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers, The Bible Rodown with Matt Chisholm and Billy, Billy Wendelin, and uh, The Narrow Path. trying to help him out because I think you the narrow, Oh, I was thinking if I should say something about aliens and Matt. But oh, okay. um, the, the, the Narrow Path with Steve Gregg. And we're excited that you're watching. We look to add new programming in the future. If you'd like to become a patron, um, you can click up here somewhere. And I promise on the next episode, I'm going to read off the list of patrons. And frankly, when we were going through the holidays, some patrons dropped off uh, or uh, minimized the amount that they give. And that's fine. We're shocked that anyone ever gives us any money. So we're not criticizing that. We're thankful for whatever you do give us. But uh, the point is, we do have goals. We do have desires. We do have things we're trying to accomplish with this show. So if you'd like to help out, um, uh, you know, Trinity or Patreon.com slash Trinity Radio or click the link here. And you get free goodies, too. They're they're, they're not worth the money you give us, but it's something, right? That's right. And thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. This is the last word. Abortion is not a political issue. It's an issue that has unfortunately been politicized. But someone's got to speak out. We're living in a day and age in which it is increasingly socially acceptable to kill unborn children, even among many middle America, community-minded, salt-of-the-earth, church-going citizens. Someone's got to speak out. According to New York's Reproductive Health Act, every individual who becomes pregnant has the fundamental right to choose to carry the pregnancy to term, to give birth to a child, or to have an abortion pursuant to this article. When this passed, New York State Public Radio reported that someone shouted, understandably, quote, May Almighty God have mercy on this state. Someone has got to speak out. If you're a pro-choicer, I love you, but science is not on your side. Though we understandably feel the need to regularly point this out, it should be uncontroversial to admit that at the moment of conception, we have new human life. This should be uncontroversial even for pro-choicers. What happens at conception is that male human biological material interacts with female human biological material, and we have new human biological material, i.e. new human life. It's for this reason that Peter Singer, no friend to pro-life advocates, says, It is possible to give human being a precise meaning. We can use it as equivalent to member of the species Homo sapiens. Whether a being is a member of a given species is something that can be determined scientifically by an examination of the nature of the chromosomes in the cells of living organisms. In this sense, there is no doubt that from the first moments of its existence, an embryo conceived from human sperm and egg is a human being. So science is not on your side. The question you want to be asking is, is this a person or not? And of course, that's a philosophical discussion, and you have to draw that line either arbitrarily or give some reason. And either way you do that, you're really playing God to some degree and just having to hope against hope that what you're not doing is killing an actual person. So science, nor reason, is on your side. Someone's got to speak out. Someone's got to say something. It's us. And as a father, I understand the emotional side of this. I do. But we've got to remember this. Many of our pro-choice neighbors are genuinely convinced that they are on the right side of this issue. They are not monsters, and the way to impact them, to change minds and thereby save lives, is not going to be through shouting angrily at them and going a hundred posts deep on Facebook with often our own immature comments. It's going to be with clear, reasoned, loving explanation of why this is wrong and why we feel so passionately about it. Remember, we've got science on our side. We've got reason on our side. Most importantly, we've got the truth on our side. Someone's got to say something. It's us. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible Studies. 
click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.